Welcome to the No Nonsense Agile Podcast. I'm Shane Gibson. I'm Murray Robinson. And I'm Frederick Carlison. Hi, Frederick. How are you today? I'm great. I'm down in Italy to watch a football game. It's actually snowing outside, so it's going to be interesting to see how the players behave on the field. Just <laughs> and if they can see the football. <laughs> I think they'll play, they'll behave coldly. <laughs> Very likely. Um, and we invited you to come on today because we wanted to talk about safe. Now, people who've listened to us before know that we've been a bit negative about safe, but we've been reluctant to talk about it because um, we wanted to really speak to people had who had deep experience in it. Mm. Um, I have some experience with SAFE. I'm an SPC and um, I've been involved in PI planning and stuff. Um, but uh, I've, I've seen you write about um, SAFE on LinkedIn and, and I understand you've been a, you know, like the product owner of a, of a large SAFE team for some years and you've had some other involvement in SAFE as well. Well, right? well, I'm actually a business owner. Business um, owner, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but for, for in a value stream or in a um, release train, um, as it's being called in in safe. Um, at the same time, I'm wearing the hat as a as a section manager and um, lean agile leader um, as well, um, for for a big um, governmental agency. Um, not going to talk about the names, but because it's more a concept we're talking about, and I'm here yes. as a private person as well. Just yes, that. yeah, yeah. No, that that's the way we like to do it. Um, but those roles you've got, though, those are like peak roles in safe, right? Business mm-hmm. owner, you're the customer of a of a release train or even multiple release trains potentially. We we actually, we started out with one train, but then we realized that the strategy and, um, you know, what we were working with had to split into two release trains and we actually split the the business owners as well across the trains. Um, But before we go into it in too much depth, tell us a little bit about your your background um, and you know, your experience with, with Agile and product development and software and so on. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I belong to the Commodore 64 generation. Um, yeah. Some of you might remember that the first home computer. Um, that was also during the time um, where role-playing, at least in, in where I come from, was very big. So my interest was basically Commodore 64 role-playing and skateboarding. Those were nice. the three things I tried to do. Um and the reason why I'm bringing up role-playing as well is because I think that role-playing and agility goes very close hand-to-hand because as a dungeon master or, you know, as a, as a game master, you're basically telling a team who has, you know, different characters like a thief, a fighter, and, and so on, it's what's happening. And then the team have to decide themselves of what actions to do and how to meet the goal of the scenario. And so as a dungeon master, you know, you actually become quite a good scrum master from, from the start. And I brought that with me, you know, going into work. So I started out as a consultant. I worked with traditional waterfall projects. And I always felt there was something that 
really didn't match my beliefs of how to handle um, a, a team. Um, and, and later on, I, I went, you know, in, into to a startup. This was during the dot com where, you know, all the companies just exploded, had so much money, they didn't know what to do with it. And uh, eventually, all of them went bankrupt, or most of them, except for the big dragons. Um, so I went to work for um, some agencies in, in the United Nations uh, for quite some time. Um, I, I lived some time in, in Bangkok and I worked in, in Copenhagen in Denmark um, as well. And here I could try some different um, project methods. We, we tried both uh, very classical waterfall and we also tried rational, rational unified process and um, also Prince 2. Um, at some time, we um, were merged with another organization and we decided to try Scrum. Um, and I think this was in 2007 or so. So at that time, I also went to have a course with Ken Schwaber to, to get a certificate at um, that time. Um, we did some scaling. That was before... Um, you know, the popular scaling frameworks came. So we actually invented our own scaling framework of some kind. Um, I, after that, went to another organization, a private um, organization as head of product group, where we actually used less um, to, to scale up. But for the last two years, um, I've been in a governmental agency where I started up a new section from, from scratch, basically, and, and also then trying out um, SAFE, um, and this is a large implementation of SAFE. We have about 1,500 people in the IT organization trying to <laughs> work together in, in this huge SAFE implementation. Um, so that's a little bit of, um, of my background. So I've been trying different roles, and I've been trying a little bit of different scaling frameworks and such. Um, I'm not a guru, I'm not an expert, but I'm a practitioner. So, you know, at least I can share my experiences. Yeah, and you've been doing SAFE for, for how long now? It's roughly two years now. So, uh, and, 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 and have, um, <laughs> as I wrote in the article, you know, basically what I, my conclusion after two years is that I think SAFE is more or less impossible to grasp. It's mm -hmm. so much. And you just look at the picture at the front screen when you go to their website and you almost get afraid. And I also believe it kind of promotes hierarchy. And it's very clever in the way that for large traditional organizations who have a traditional management structure, SAFE seems to fit in. So you get tempted to actually say, oh, we can become agile and we can still keep the old structure. Uh, and this, I think, we might be talking more about that later on. I think this causes a lot of problems um, as such. Thank you for saying that because, uh, yeah, I, I haven't been a practitioner of SAFE. I've never worked with an organization that's implemented it, and I don't believe I ever will. Um, and one of the views I have watching uh, SAFE be rolled out in organizations in New Zealand because it's become the the flavor in our government organizations now is uh, it is often used by organizations that want to change their slippers. They can look at the, the SAFE map and they can go, well, here's my current role. 
um, in middle management or or somewhere in the organization. And I can see another title that looks kind of like what I do. So I'm just going to change my title, not change our behavior, not change the way we work, but but I can rebadge my, my role and uh, I found my spot within the, the safe map. And so, um, yeah, I wasn't sure if it was just me that had that view. So it's, it's good to hear that you know, other people see that happening a lot within organizations as well. Yeah, and and the thing with roles is it's getting confusing. I think everyone is stepping on each other to each other's toes because, as you say, you know, Safe introduces quite a lot of new roles. So they have the classical Scrum roles. Um, they're kind of redefined um, because they have the product owner, but the product owner is mostly focused inwards towards the team, and then they have the product management, which is kind of on top of that. And they're supposed to look at the roadmap one to three years ahead in, in time and also to talk more to external customers. And then on top of that, you have the business owner. That's basically my role, whose role it is to form the strategy and the vision uh, and, and the long term goals. And to have long term goals is fine, but it kind of takes all the traditional product owner role and splits it into three different um, roles in, in, in my opinion I guess the assumption is it's supposed to be because you scale up so you need some kind of extra uh, overhead on top of, of the teams um, but in my personal experience it causes more confusion than it actually um, does help and and of course you have the release trained engineers you have the solution trained engineers and, and so on so from your point of view as a as a business owner, which is like the manager of the, the product owners, the customer, how is it how is it working for you? Is it helping you to achieve your goals of you know meeting your users' needs and your your customers' needs? Is, is it a is it does it provide you with that contact with customers that, that we talk about a lot in Agile? Is it is it um giving you um, I, I I don't know. Is it is it allowing you to achieve your your business goals? Is it business focused? Well, in 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 some sense, I, I think that you know we we have in 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 safe you have strategic themes. Basically, we call that the same. We use that the same as the business goal for the entire organization, and those are up to date and. In our value stream, we try to see which of these business goals can we actually take into our value stream in order to provide value. But I think the biggest problem with the value streams and which I see happen a lot of times, also when I talk to other people, is that the value streams we create are actually not value streams, meaning that we can't in our stream do something of value from start to end. We always have some dependency on other value streams or even support value stream and, and so on, which means that in our value stream or release stream, we actually can't take something from start to end. That means that I'm not that close to customers because if I look at it from a customer-centric perspective, I would like to be involved in the entire value stream, you know, 
For example, if somebody puts something in, 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 if somebody wants to buy something, you go through a lot of modules. You first put, put something into the catalog, and then you go into the module shopping cart, and then you go into the module quotation, for example. If you want to take a feature and you want to provide value, you should be part of that entire customer journey from start to end. But we can't do that because if you imagine that example, we basically just control the shopping cart. We can't control anything around it, meaning that it gets very confusing and you get a lot of dependency and you have to do a lot of coordination. And coordination is something we want to avoid. That means the streams are not autonomous. Yes. So one one thing uh, I found with SAFE and I've heard a lot of people say is that the, the SAFE does a lot of dependency Management. So you got that famous, you know, you put up the boards with the red string all over it, and there's there's all this dependency management. But it feels to me like Safe philosophically accepts a lot of dependencies. It accepts the dependencies that already exist in the organisation, and it tries to work around them. Whereas in in Agile, I think we're really about trying to minimise dependencies as much as possible between teams and groups by, as far as we can, we, we, we bring the skills into the team or we treat a, um, a, another team as, a, as a, like a, a, an internal product that provides us with a, with a service. So, um, but it feels I've noticed with sites that there's a, there's a lot of dependencies, and the problem problem you're talking about is a mm-hmm. is very common. And uh, yeah, and, and, and I agree. And I, I would say you know it, it allows dependencies. And and, and this chart to talk about we use this yarn with the red yarn and try to map dependencies if you do it physically or if you even worse use Jira or or something. But it's not just in the release train, on top of that, you actually have the same thing between the release trains and even between the value streams. So it becomes even more complicated, which means that in, at least in our case, we have to add more overhead on top of everything. So add extra project layer management on top of everything um, instead of going to trying to, to fix the root cause, which is basically how can we collaborate effectively? How can we, you know, make the communication flow better? And you do that by having fewer people to commun- communicate to, you know, and, and mm-hmm. basically, you know, it just, if you talk about from a waste perspective, it just adds a lot of extra processing and relearning because you need to have more and more people involved all the time and more and more people need to be informed of the decisions. It makes the entire process very, very slow instead of having the autonomy and, you know, extending the control for a team to be able to take something from start to end. So I think you're absolutely right. So so we typically know that uh, the further away we get from the people doing the work, the more opaque the work is that's been done, right? So, yeah, if we have a, a team of people doing some some development, uh, they they know what they're working on, right? They know what problems they're hitting. They know what they need to do, right? Assuming they have a, a good vision and they know where they where they're meant to be aiming at. And then, as soon as we have some people observing them, we we get an inference, right, of what they're working on. And if they then have a conversation with somebody else, the the conversation gets you know changed, right? As we as we talk to people who haven't observed the work being done, mm-hmm. you know, the the story changes. For safe, it sounds like 
that that's uh, what what happens, right? Because it's a result of people who aren't doing the work talking to other people about the work being done. And as you go up those conversations, we naturally lose the context. Um, so is that what tends to happen when when you know we have teams on top of teams and you know, does safe kind of reinforce that behaviour? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, it, it kind of happens, and, and the way we try to mitigate it is that we do create, you know, in 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 Save, we use both epics and we use features and user stories, right? It's a little bit different than because normally you just talk about epics, but epics can be then both on at the program level and it can be at the train level. But if we have a program epic, basically that program epic is then broken down into maybe a lean business case, uh, which, by the way, looks exactly like the Restaurant Unified Process Vision uh, document. And, and then you break it down into features. And ideally, you know, the trains and the teams would do a pull from these features. And then they would talk to the right, you know, feature owner or epic owner, yet another, you know, terminology in, in safe or you know an expert on, on that area to get clarification on on the requirements or what the goal is. Unfortunately, a lot of things happen during this way, so it's more often pushed down into into the trains, and because one train can't finish all of this, it has to be coordinated across several um, trains as well. I wanted to talk to you about the push idea yeah. because um, what, what I've seen in in the in the safe program I worked in and also what I've heard from other people is that there is a lot of push downwards onto teams and that in fact what's happening is that um, people at the higher levels are spending about two months preparing for PI planning mm. and you know at the management level and then they have the PI plan and they they ask for the team to commit, like everybody gets together, yeah. all 1,500 people or whatever it is for two days, and then they, they um, agree on a plan, they commit to the plan, they promise to deliver it, and then management expect that the plan will be delivered. Now, the, the plan is you know, five or six sprints worth of work for the next three months, right? And there is a there's kind of a spare sprint at the end, a hardening sprint normally to fix things up that went wrong, I guess. And, um, <laughs> well, you know, a hardening a hardening sprint is built in at the end. So, but, but what I see... Well, it's, it's actually called innovation sprint, right? You're not supposed to do hardening, right? But that's what... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what they. Yeah, hardening and innovation. You know, I, I remember reading about it. It's talking about fixing up things that, uh, as well as innovation. But ne but ne nevertheless, there is this kind of spare, which which is I suppose good. But the yeah. point I was trying to make though is that the team I was working in, the the program manager and the person in your role, were mm. pushing work into the team. And they were pushing twice as much work into the team as the team had historically been able to do. And then they were, they had a detailed plan for, for you know, five or six sprints. And then they would demand that it be done, even if the team couldn't do it. So 
it was um, it was really um, a very unhappy uh, group that I was working with because everybody felt very disempowered because they were being, you know, th- things were being pushed at them and they were basically being told off for not um, delivering, you know, these things this sprint and then the next things a sprint after. So I was wondering, you know, is that your experience? How common is that? I, I, I do have the same experience and, and, and safe doesn't want it to be that way, but I do think it does happen automatically because of the structure and, and the way PI plannings are set up. Um, so we have this phenomenon of every time before a PI planning, people rush to finish the lean business cases because yeah. they want to get something into the PI planning because otherwise they might miss the slot for the next three months and they have to wait another three months before they actually yeah. can get it into uh, the PI planning. Now, what SAFE says is you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't have, you know, the busy work of having, you know, the planning of um, capacity for 100% for each you know, sprint. Maybe in, yeah. in the first sprint they say, I can't remember the numbers, but, but you know, just follow the logic that for the first sprint, maybe you should plan for 80% of the capacity. And then in the second sprint, 60%. And in the last one, for 40%, because things happen during the way and there are changes and you get more and more uncertain during the way. Unfortunately, because everybody wants to have their thing in, and as you say, it's getting pushed in and everybody screams, this has highest priority, you know, and management comes from different ways. And I say, we need to have this because we have deadlines. We promised you made estimates, which we turn into commitments. Um, it gets fully occupied with capacity. And if some part of me thinks, you know, if SAFE acknowledges that we can't plan for free sprints ahead, so we should only have 40% capacity in the last sprint. Why do we even bother to have PI plannings to plan for free sprints ahead? Why don't we just skip, skip it and just keep with sprints? Yeah, because then we get a more flow. Because this, for me, sorry to just, for me, this, this is like having huge batches, you know, um, like, like in lean theory, you want to have small batches to get flow through the process. Yeah, it it feels to me like a series of three month projects with a preparation of about a month or two overlapping the last one. So it doesn't feel agile, it fe- but it doesn't feel waterfall either. It feels like these like a sequence of three month projects with a fixed time, a fixed scope, a fixed team. Mm-hmm. That's how it feels, but. Is that so? Yeah, you know, we we know that people will often take an agile pattern and they will bastardize it and do bad things to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is this is this a case of uh, you know, does safe define the goal of the PI planning quite clearly? And what we're seeing is people taking the PI planning process and you know corrupting it by making it as a way of of doing a three month planning forcing commitment. Or is that actually 
part of, of the PI planning scope, which is to define the work to be done, estimate what could be achieved and commit to achieving it within that three-month window and then locking out any changes in that three months. Is that is that what the you get taught when you get taught safe? Is that what it's meant to do? Um, I'm not sure. I, you know, I'm, I'm a positive person, so I'm, I'm sure that Leffingwell had very good intentions creating this. I'm, I'm sure, you know, the purpose is, is good and supposed to be lean, agile. But I think in practicality, it's very hard, especially if you have an organization with a culture that is traditional, you actually read into it what you, from the knowledge that you have previously, that of product management, and you kind of take those ideas into and in, in, you know into the safe implementation because that's what you know and it takes a long long time to get an agile mindset and to actually understand the agile principles um i want to ask you whether you think safe is actually agile and and i'd like to do that by going through the values in the agile manifesto and just getting your your opinion if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So first of all, um, I'm, I'm going to, uh, well, first of all, do you think SAFE balances or prioritizes individuals and actions over processes and tools? No, I don't think so because um, you don't have effective collaboration in SAFE when you scale up at this level. Um so and and there are, no, it it becomes very process. What I see happening is if everybody focus on is this according to safe, and people forget mm-hmm. common sense, and common sense is actually what we need. Sometimes I get very frustrated. And I say, you say, just forget about safe. You know, if if we were allowed to do whatever we wanted to get this effective, what would you do? Yeah. So it, it's. I mean, we 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 say in the Agile Manifesto, individuals and actions over processes and tools, but there's still value in processes and tools. But it it sounds like um, you know, Safe is very heavy. It's a heavy process and and heavy process oriented. Yeah. I, you know. I, I I agree. You know. And you know, in in Safe, we have events, for example. Some people mistakenly call it rituals and rituals is something you know that you have at Christmas or in the church and, and, and so on. And I think safe promotes rituals rather than events because there are so many and so complicated that you forget the purpose and you only focus on the ritual. Would you, would you say, let's go to the second one. Would you say that um, safe prioritizes working software working products over comprehensive documentation or is it much more focused on the documentation? No, I think the purpose of SAFE after all is to have a working product because you set business objectives and and you set goals um, and, and, you know, it doesn't actually say very much about documentation. I think it's very much based upon the organization that you live in, how much documentation you need. So it is a product focus for sure in SAFE, um, according, in my opinion. Okay, so so that's 
Good then. What about the third value? So we value customer collaboration over contract negotiation. And I, I, I wonder, to me, it feels like the PI is a contract. Yeah. And, and so, and, you know, how do you, how do you feel about that? Is it, is it more focused on customer collaboration or contract negotiation? No, I think the customer is forgotten in all of that because you remove the ability for the teams to talk to the customers. You move that too high up in the hierarchy uh, and to people who are too far away from, from the business. Um, and as you say, in the PI planning, you make those estimates into commitments. Previously, in, in, in SAFE, you even had stretch goals. And just yeah. the word stretch goals tells you, you know, push yourself to meet the deliverables, not the goal. Now, I think they changed that to uncommitted. And then, you know, you mean that uncommitted means that you can't complete it on your own force. You have, because you might have dependencies to other teams or technical complications, you haven't done it. And that's not better either, either you know, because that should be spikes in, in, in that case. So I do believe, you know, that um, it's not about, you forget the value in, in, in the process. I focus too much on deliverables. So while we're talking about customer collaboration, um, when you talked about the role of the business owner, yeah, I could infer that it's a proxy role, that the person fulfilling that role is not actually the customer. It is somebody who acts for the customer. Okay, so is, the business owner is typically a proxy role for the customer. Yeah, I would say in, in my case, I'm more of the person who forms a strategy based upon the business goals of the organization. And hopefully that is based upon customer needs. Okay. Yeah. Just coming to the, to the last value then, so we say in Agile, we value responding to change over following a plan. So we, so we do planning, but it feels to me like you have these series of three months plans, which are, you know, fairly rigid. And you also do these big detailed roadmaps and um, architecture roadmaps and customer journeys. And I've seen people make those very detailed. So it's, I'm wondering how... It, it, where does SAFE sit on the scale of responding to change over following a plan in your experience? Um, I will try to be diplomatic, not, not good at all. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think it, it really doesn't work. You know, in, in some sense, if you could turn it into having long-term goals instead, I think that would be fine. But as we focus too much on deliverables, it's very hard to respond to any change. And especially as you fill the capacity in each sprint 100%, you can't yeah. get anything urgent through. So you just get a lot of queues and waiting times and handovers. Uh, so I, I think the biggest impediment of, of SAFE is the PI planning and the waiting time and the allowing dependency, not trying to fix the problem. Um, that, that really is a killer uh, for responding to change. So what we've got there then is that, that SAFE violates three of the core values of Agile 
and and it it it's maybe meets one of them, which is working product and software over documentation, but it violates the other three. So, you know that this is my experience as well. Although I don't have as much as you, so it feels to me like safe is not agile. It's just not. No, and and you know. Sometimes I wonder for a traditional company, if they want to be agile, could safe be a stepping stone? That's the question I ask myself sometimes. If you know you start by breaking, trying to break down existing structure um, and, and start doing some of uh, mimic, you know, like cutting almost um, some of of the agile principles um, by having some events, would you at some stage get some wisdom and some insight into how you work agile and then actually you remove safe and become agile for real? That's the best scenario. Yeah. Yeah. So so I struggle with that, right? I, I yeah. because what I see is safe starts with scale. It's in yeah. the name. And so when people say to me, well, if we want to start with a 1,000 people working on something, if we don't use SAFE, what should we use? And the answer is don't start with a 1,000 people working on something. Yeah. A 1,000 people working on something on day one is just crazy. I mean, you you haven't built your ways of working. You haven't adapted your mindset, right? You haven't discovered mm-hmm. and explored. You, so, so I can see why they pick SAFE because mm-hmm. it is a way for a large number of people on day one to start working on the same thing-ish. But when we step back and look at that that behavior, it's crazy. Yeah, I agree. And, and you usually carry a, a, a backpack as well from previous PM3 or whatever you have used previously. And that's the culture you have and that, that's the knowledge you have. Um, so I think it kind of um, just transfer, you know, the words um, – <laughs> you take what you, what you know and you just give it a new name some, some time. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to comment on this. Is it is it a good stepping stone? Um, yeah. I see this argument being made a lot also when, you know, people are doing a waterfall in sprints. This is mm-hmm. the other common thing. It's not many mm-hmm. people doing proper agile. They're either doing waterfall in sprints with, you know, one of the big four professional services firms or they're doing doing safe and they always say, oh, it's a stepping stone, it's a stepping stone. But mm-hmm. I don't think it is because a lot of people learn that this is what Agile is. I, I have met Agile coaches who've come out of a big bank where they've done water scrum fall and then they go and try and implement that everywhere because that's what, that's what agile is from their point of view. So, so you you're getting all these people who are getting, you know, this major misunderstanding of agile, and the organisation's only getting a, a minor benefit. So, you know, why yeah, do it? I think it's very interesting. I, on on a LinkedIn query, I ask people, do you believe that structure forms culture? And, and I can see you answer that question as as, as well. And I can see we're completely divided, you know, about one third says yes, one third says no, and one third says it depends. Um, and and, and uh, the, the question is really interesting, you know, how do we need to, you know, break down the traditional hierarchical organizations and create a new structure in order to help remove some impediments to get some new ways of thinking 
Or is it so that we first can change culture and the mindset and that automatically will change the structure? It's a little bit like the chicken and the egg, and maybe it's both. Um, hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so for me, it comes back to that another rant word for me, which is transformation. You know, we're going to transform the organization, which means we're going to move the hierarchies around, right? We don't we don't transform the culture because it's not something you can transform. You can change the culture. That's hard mm-hmm. and slow. But you don't do it by transforming the organization. And so digital transformation, organizational transformation, those big programs that seem to fail like the big BPM projects of the old days, safe to me seems like that, right? It seems like delivering value is not the goal of safe. An organization doesn't put safe in to achieve value or change the way they work. They put safe in to transform the organization and the way they work. It falls into that trap. And, and from what I've seen of it. Yeah. And, and, and it raises still another interesting question. Let's pretend that we are a top management of a traditional company and we want to make it agile. What would be the first step to do if we're not going to use, say, for less or any of the scaling frameworks? How can we do it? You know, um, easy. We, as as the leaders of the organisation, we adopt an agile mindset ourselves. Mm. We, we we show the behaviour, right, and then we okay. encourage that behaviour across the organisation. We don't go and find a piece of paper with a ten step plan and dictate that everybody else does it. So that uh, was and, a, yeah. leadership is the most important part. You know. Get the right yeah. leaders and the organization will change into having an agile mindset. Yeah, I believe so too, actually. One yeah. thing I do like about SAFE when I've talked to people in New Zealand who have used it is that at the PI planning, senior leaders of the organization turn up at the beginning mm. and they do articulate a vision for the organization typically. And so I like that behavior. Right, I like the fact that the senior leaders are turning up and talking to the team about what's important. So I don't know whether that's part of SAFE or it just seems to happen because, you know, you've got 500 people in a room, senior leaders want to come and talk to them. But um, I, I see that as a valuable practice, right, to have the leaders come and set the vision on a regular basis for the people doing the work. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think that uh, that Agile starts with the, the, the leadership team. Um, so, Frederick, if, if you were going to advise the SAFE rule makers, the body that creates the save and and tell them what they needed to change to make it truly agile, what would you tell them to do? <laughs> wow. Um, probably if, if I could say that, I probably would get the Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I would say make it much more simple and don't scale, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it kind of, you know, removes the purpose of safe though, <laughs> I guess. Um, but I, I, I would say remove, you know, remove some of the overhead, you know, reduce the amount of roles. Um, don't try to make it so big. Instead, try to see how you can great, create smaller autonomous units of maybe 50 or so people figure out how to increase the zone of control for those teams so they actually can take their own decisions and actually can take something from a to b 
Don't focus on trying to add another layer of product management or try to have some coordination roles uh, on how to sync dependency between different value streams or um, or even across um, uh, you, you know uh, trains and and so on. Um, and focus more on principles and maybe not so much on events. Um, mm. What about PI planning? I think it should be removed because I think it's an impediment. It it creates, as I said before, large badges and, and uh, it uh, makes people focus more on what should be delivered the next three months and how can we ensure that we actually get what we want into the time slot for the next three months rather than all the time adapting and focusing on the goal we want to reach and how to actually get um, an even flow through the organization. If there is something very important that you need to get through, you shouldn't have to wait for three months. You know, if you're lucky, you know, you just talk to the right team and, and or teams and, and, you know, they can say, okay, sure, we can get this into the next, you know, sprint planning. Um, so mm. I definitely think, yeah. And, and that was actually my suggestion when we had lost inspect and adapt, um, that maybe we should focus less on what we do in the PI planning and focus more on how we can get the flow, you know, throughout, you know, it shouldn't matter if you are a few days late with a lean business case, just work on it, let it take the time it takes and then try to get it into the next sprint, wherever, for whichever team that can take it or value stream. Yeah. So, so just picking up on that term, inspect and adapt, is, is that a core part of SAFE? So, so SAFE, from what I can tell, has is, is taken a number of patterns from other agile practices, right, and oh. put them together. And, and I have absolutely no problem with that, right? I'd, I'd prefer they call it a toolkit, not a methodology, right, to make it optional. But I have no problem with them adopting patterns that are successful. But I was just wondering, is, is that the gospel that you have to follow or do they bake yeah. in the concept of inspect and adapt within the, the safe way of working? There, there is the concept of inspect and um, adapt. Um, basically, at the teams, you can choose if you want to use, for example, Scrum or their own version of Scrum XP or XP or Kanban. And of course, there you have um, the retrospectives. But you also, after each um, PI planning, you know, at the end of each program increment, you have the inspect and adapt for the entire train. We try to um, see what you can improve and, and what you can change. That actually works quite well. Um, I like it. It's a little bit like the overall retrospectives that you have in less, for example. Um, and there has been a lot of good things coming out from, from, uh, the, from the inspect and adapt that we have had actually that has improved, um, the, the work. And some, somehow, you know, having been through using a lot of product methods and various ways. What I find is amazing is if you have good teams, despite how strange systems are and, you know, organization making is very difficult. If you have good teams, they manage to find ways to deliver despite all of this, you know, governance stupidity or whatever you should call it, you know, yeah. In the SAFE program I was was helping a while ago, um, 
I found the teams were really miserable. Um, they they weren't doing their retrospectives because management told them they weren't important and when they raised issues in their retrospectives, they were either ignored or they were punished for reprimanded for raising things that they shouldn't have been discussing. And um, they were also... You know, they, they they were also under a lot of pressure to put a lot more work into every sprint than, than they felt able to do. And basically they the issues that they were being raised, they, they were being forced to do twice as much as they could realistically do and all the issues they were raising were being ignored or they were being told off. So they were miserable and they'd kind of given up and and were very unhappy. And um, That's terrible. Yeah. I must say. But to be fair, I've seen that in Scrum as well. You know, I, I have seen Scrum teams that, you know, are, sorry, are, are forced to commit, overcommit to the work they know they can't do, uh, have senior people sitting in their retrospectives to make sure they don't see bad things. So I have seen bad behaviour with some of the other approaches as well. Yeah, I, I don't like estimates. I'm, I'm much more for no estimates. You know, put a goal in, and because estimates always lead to, as you said before, to commitments in 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 the end. And it shouldn't. Fo- there comes too much focus on the estimates and what can be delivered rather than meeting the goal. And I really like that in the Scrum Guide 2020 that they changed that focus on goals. Yeah, it, that that is good. Um, uh, early Scrum did talk a lot about commitments as well, and and. Um, that did cause some of the behaviour you were talking about, I think, Shane, as people thought that, you know, it was fixed scope. And, and Scrum has kind of recognised that and moved away from it because they recognised it was creating a problem. But um, this, we just had Joshua uh, Koreski on and we just published a podcast with him today and he's written a book called The Joy of Agility and, and his view is that, you can tell if your team is agile or not because they enjoy it. They enjoy their work. The work flows. People are involved. People are, uh, are able to to develop their craft. Their autonomy, mastery, and purpose, as Dan Pink says, is what people have in a good agile team. So um, that is, that's actually a measure of whether you're you're doing agile. Well, but I, I, yeah, I, I must say, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I agree on that okay. in, in the sense that I believe actually that the teams I have, they are, they are somewhat happy. You know, I, I feel, I think they have some psychological safety and, uh, and they enjoy the work and I do some, I try to do some pair programming with them and sure there are a lot of problems, but in most cases they're kind of protected from all of this on top layer of safe. So actually they can work and they have good scrum masters and they work together with each other. And even, but it's, I think it's on the higher level that agility completely fails. Um, that it's all the dependency and maybe, you know, not being able to deliver something of value quickly. And you might say that a team might be unhappy because they don't see what they have produced getting into production quickly um but some of the things you know can still be out there in 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 production quickly but i think you can still have happy well working functional teams in safe and still fail so that's why i say it doesn't have to be the measure of being agile just because you have happy teams 
because you can still yeah. feel at an organizational level. So, so use some words there that when you know when I listen to them, I go, mm-hmm. okay. So you you've got a lot of coaching behavior, and yeah, you know, with your background, I'm assuming you've got a lot of leadership behavior as well. Um, so you're doing things that I wouldn't typically assign to a business owner. So is that just because you know of your experience and the roles you've done, you naturally bring bring those traits to the table, or is it expected that the business owner within Safe would do those things? <laughs> I, I'm I'm 100 certain it's because I've been a Scrum Master before, and 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 I bring that behavior with me. I'm trying to bring that behavior with me to other business owners and other managers as as well as much as I can, um, for sure. Spoken to a couple of, um, you know, very senior safe trainers who, who have a lot of experience, um, and they've they've told me that they treat safe as a toolkit, mm. and because they have experience in other things like Scrum and Lean and so on, um, they modify it in the direction of you know a lighter weight process, and and um, you know being more like less and bringing in some of those behaviors um so and and they will argue that that safe has also changed and and is is focused on goals and that pi plans are not supposed to be fixed commitments they're all supposed to be about goals and objectives and outcome measured and 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 um so that behavior doesn't come from safe they argue um, well, it, it, it makes sense to me, um, but then you might as well use less because that's exactly what less says, you know, start with something small, minimal, and then use some different tools and, and try and just build onto it instead of having safe where you start with everything from the beginning and then take away things. Why start with a completely complicated package uh, with everything? Why not just start small, add things as you see them work, adapt to the culture, and the context and, and the organization you're working with. Um, it's fine, you know. I, I some, some, somehow believe that, you know, <laughs> I, I wrote in my article, you know, for me, say, feels like you're adding everything that is good into a big mishmash of things, you know, you know as if baking a cake, you know, you, you take you take everything you like, like strawberries, whipped cream, and oh, bacon. I like bacon as well. Let's put some bacon into it. And tomatoes. I like tomatoes. Okay. Um, something else. Oh, we need something that is healthy. Let's put some broccoli into it, you know, and, and then, oh, and some caramel sauce. Yeah, great, you know. And then you get this mismatch, and everything by itself is great, but when you put it together, it becomes not so good. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, what's the alternative? What what would you recommend people uh, do instead if if they need to do a big program of work with large numbers of people? I I would probably say you know, do you really need to scale? Why why do you need to scale? Because the most effective teams are work with no matter which organization is small teams sitting next to the customer. They can make wonders. And I, for every team you add, I, you just need to add so much more overhead. And for some reason, I see that efficiency just goes down for every team. Every time you double, you know, 
you don't get doubled output. You, you just get the, the output or outcome rather that you get. It just diminishes for every team that you add. So at some point, I think it would be interesting to see a formula for that or, or some kind of algorithm to see when efficiency goes down so much by adding more teams that it's not economical to do it anymore because you don't get the outcome or output that you, that you want. Um, so I would say, you know, start small, start very simple. And if you're going to do value streams, for example, before you do that, make sure you actually have the prerequisites to create a value stream. Make sure that you don't have technical depth. Make sure you can have continuous integration or continuous deployment. And, and also make sure that, you know, there is the capability for the team to take something from start to end that actually have the authority and the mandate and also the possibility to, to do it. So I would, you know, say fix the underlying impediments because if you start scaling and you don't fix the, the, you know, the impediments, you just bring them with you and they become worse, the bigger the scaling you have. Yeah, I mean, you're speaking our language here. This is what we've, we've talked about a lot. Um, what about less? You've talked about um, less a few times. Um, mm. I've, I've read it and I, I like it, uh, but I haven't done it myself. Um, what's, the, what's the value of less in your opinion? Um, I think it's much more um, lean, not in the sense of uh, – uh, the concept lean, but, but you have much less overhead in, in the implementation where I worked uh, as a head of product group, we had um, 20 teams um, and um, we had one product owner and, and then we had divided teams into areas of about five teams in, in each area. Um, and for each area, we had an area product owner and that was basically overhead that we had. Uh, and then we had scrum teams and, and the scrum teams were experienced and in each area they could actually, and each team, they had worked for a very long time and um, they could actually take something from start to end um, without uh, being dependent on others. Of course, in that implementation, we had other problems um, um, preventing us from becoming really agile. Uh, and that was because we didn't have DevOps and we had a monolith product meaning yeah. that, you know, we couldn't do fast testing and we couldn't do automated testing. So we had test cycles that were, you know, three weeks if we had to test the entire product. So our impediment in that implementation was actually to go towards more maybe a, a microservices or at least breaking it down into modules that could be each deployed um, by itself in order to, shorten the lead time to um, production. But from a management perspective and from an organizational perspective, less what's much more effective. The negative thing I can say that the pressure on the product owner and on the my, myself as an HPG was enormous. We worked so many hours. You know, it, it was just incredible just to get things um, going and that is not needed in safe because you have so many roles and so much overhead so so in that sense safe i guess is um, 
more relaxed, <laughs> if I can say it like that. Um, and I also like, you know, that less is basically Scrum. Now they say it's not Scrum anymore, but because they haven't adapted to um, the latest Scrum guide, but uh, it's much more simple and, and easier to understand. Uh, but you still have to fix the same problems, no mm. matter what. Yeah. I mean, this, this is just, you know, it's it's ticking a lot of my boxes, the, the things that you're saying. I, I definitely agree that, that there are, if, if, if you start doing one agile team using Scrum or Scrum Band, I prefer actually, um, and you start raising issues, you're going to find that a lot of those issues are impediments in the organization for everybody. Yeah. So if you start tackling them and fixing them at a root cause level, Mm. then you're starting to fix the organization to allow everybody to move faster. And then once you've got one team working pretty well, you can have two teams, three, four, five teams. You've got five teams and you can start to deal with scaling issues like, you know, we need some coordinated architecture across the teams. We needed some coordinated user experience design. So then you can have your retros and you can work through it and you can say things like, well, we, we need some people to support the product owner. So we, we maybe need an architect and a user experience designer to sit with the product owner and work across the teams. But, you know, you're, you're developing these as you go. There's a whole lot of patterns. You can choose the ones you want. Um, you can inspect and adapt. You can tailor. You can, but the, the point is that you can scale something that works rather than, as you said, scaling something that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So I I like that. It's a bit – we had Scott Amblett on recently as well. He's doing disciplined agile delivery with PMI Mm -hmm. and they've come up with something called choose your wow or your ways of working. And basically it's like a big menu of patterns that you can choose from with, you know, some guidance on, you know, here's a number of patterns for dealing with risk, number of agile patterns, you know, here's a number of patterns for estimation, mm-hmm. which, which seems pretty good actually. Yeah. I'm not familiar with with disciplined agile. I've just read very little about it, but, it, but the concept seems interesting, but that you need to know what, to pick or you have to have the mindset of let's try this and if it doesn't work for us then let's try something else yeah yeah Are you thinking Shane? yeah i um yeah personally i'm a i'm a toolkit fan but yeah i think i think you pick up a good point that you have to be given permission and have the ability to try something and then go actually that toolkit piece didn't work for us what, what are we going to try next mm-hmm. um but you know for me that's all about you know inspecting adapting and acting right that's what we should be doing uh every day so it it naturally fits with me more than what i see safe providing yeah shall we summarize sure um okay it looks like i'm going first (laughs) (laughs) uh you know it's been great with your user experience with safe to, to come on and and really you know I, I guess you're confirming things that, that we were quite worried about and, um, you know, I've had some experience 
of, uh, but from a place of, of a lot more experience. I, I think um, if you didn't have all that experience with less and Scrum, you wouldn't know that there was a problem or that there was an alternative. I guess so. Then I, I, I would just think, oh, this is probably how it should be. Uh, and that's a false belief to have. And, and that's why I think as well, you, if you don't know anything else, it's hard to question it. Yeah. If um, you haven't seen a working team and if you haven't seen a really, you know, I, I hate the word effective, but I can't find a better word. If you have seen some really effective team, effective team being able to deliver value, working close with customers all the time, you want to get back to that because you love that and you know what you want, you know, and then you strive to get that. And then you come into other companies and you just see the governance structure trying to work against that you know then then you get frustrated and then you want to how can i fix this you know how can i beat the system how can i beat the governance system that's actually you know what i'm trying to do this is you could almost be describing waterfall <laughs> instead of safe yeah. um yeah so so i completely agree with that um i also think it was interesting that we were able to go through the agile values and say that safe only aligns with one of four of them and it and it really does not align at all with with the other three. So you know, it's it's heavily process oriented. It's heavily you know, PI contract oriented. It's um, you know, it's heavily plan focused. And uh, yeah, it gets stuff done. You know, but um, it's violating all of those other core values of the. Agile Manifesto, and also the Agile Manifesto was came out of the lightweight process movement, and um, Safe is definitely not lightweight. So, so I think that that that's good that we were able to assess it and say actually it's not Agile. I'd like them to call it something else. I'd like them to call it uh, maybe RUP 2.0. <laughs> because <laughs> I think that would be more honest. <laughs> Um, I also really like uh, the direction you're going in with with less and with scaling uh, or descaling, mm. descaling less. Lots of customer collaboration. You know, fix the problem before you scale. Um, you know, autonomous, uh, empowered teams. You know, maybe a fifty or so that can deliver value from beginning to end. These are these are all things that you know, music to my ears. Mm-mm-mm. No, I mean, in, in the end, it's all about you know, creating the conditions for delivering as often as possible to get quick feedback and, and you know, to kind of navigate through all, all the risks and all the reefs and everything that we see in order to reach the goal. And it's all about taking the right decisions. And we usually don't take the right decision. And the longer, you know, if you take a decision that is valid for three months, then you get more disastrous effects than if you take a decision that is valid for a week because then you can change yeah. quicker. And I'd really like to get rid of PI planning as well. I think it's it's it causes a lot of blockages. Yeah. But it is sure. a jewel in the crown, right? Yeah, when I talk to people who are in a safe environment, yeah, well, over here is PI planning followed by release train engineer. Those are the words I hear all the time. None of the other stuff ever gets told to me, right? It's just PI planning, PI planning, release train engineer. So it's the jewel in the crown of safe. It's from looking out, you know, being outside looking in. That's that's my unscientific 
uh, data feedback. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe you know, if the PI plan was completely focused on just saying for the next three months, this is the goal we want to achieve, and nothing else. No, no, you know, what should we have in 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 this increment? What deliverables, etc. Maybe that could be a, a, a nice check-in to have every few months to see what is our goal. Has it been updated? You know, how yeah. close are we reaching it? Yeah. And, and, and a senior leader kind of presenting how important the work is for the organization. But no no red string, right? Um, yeah. so, so my view, um, look, I, I, you know, I openly state I have a confirmation bias against um, SAFE. I, I, I don't believe in it. I don't believe I'll ever do it. Um, so every time somebody agrees with me that I love it, but that's just reconfirming my uh, conf- my bias. Um, I love the fact that you've done less. It's it's one that I've read about, like you know, like Murray, I've read about it. I've never managed to be lucky enough to work with people to to use it. But yeah, you know, if I think about cultural fit, the the less way of thinking culturally fits better with the way I think than Safe does. Um, I believe safe is, you know, it's a bunch of components. Uh, I have no problem with that. I, I, I love the idea of toolkits. I just don't like when they're called methodologies and they'll shout, which is how I perceive safe. And nobody's managed to convince me otherwise. But uh, I have a, a, an organization I work with once and they uh, was caught up with, with somebody that I worked there a little while ago and they said they looked at safe and I was like, oh, no. And they said, no, no, because it's a really pretty menu to find all the other agile practices. So I think there's some value there by treating it as a, as a pretty menu to, to find some things. Um, I've done no work around the lean business case or the RUP stuff. So I'm going to take that away from me and go do some research on that because that sounds interesting. Um, also, I like the idea that you know you articulated around the 80-60-40 capacity. You know, as we talk about the time horizons of work to be done, uh, we, we know that you know, any kind of T-shirt sizing estimate we do gets rougher and less accurate the more time horizon it is. But I've never thought about it in terms of uh, – how much we work we should think we're going to get done yeah so when we look at what we you know what's three or five iterations out actually thinking that there's less capacity is, is a good way of thinking about it so i like that 80 60 40 percent rule I, th- I thought that was quite nice um and the other big takeaway for me is yeah dungeons and dragons and t-shaped teams right uh, it's been around for many many years and uh really is the basis of agile so it's <laughs> it's often amazing for me how many of these uh things we did as kids or have been around for 20 years just keep popping up with a new set of uh slippers so uh, yeah exactly yes. and i think you know maybe maybe in the future you know organizations will be formed around the world of warcraft how we swarm together you know creating something you know hundreds of people coming together to reach you know a go and then they just disappear and then you form another team you know maybe oh, that would be yeah great great way to scale right yeah yeah exactly. organization in half and then yeah. tell them it's world of warcraft and only one of them will survive <laughs> well, all, everyone working on distance as well and the new generation they just have it in you know in the mother's milk and how to work like that yeah. So that, that uh, again, yeah. Um, I'd also re- reiterate uh, or, or echo what Murray said around um, the fact that you have been doing lots of different things in this space for so long. So to have that experience where you know you've done lots of them and then you're providing your view based on that lens rather than have only doing one or, or done one for a short amount of time, um, I really appreciate that as well because I think that that helped us have a balanced conversation. Um, given we're pretty public that we're both not 
big fans of of Safe as such. Yeah. All right. Well, that's been great. Great to talk to you. Um, and we're going to be talking to Al Shalloway, I think, next week. Uh, he was one of the original um, Safe uh, trainers and uh, has moved away from it and um, has been doing disciplined agile delivery and um, things like that and now something new. So you That's know. going to be very interesting. He's... he's He's heard a lot on, on yeah. LinkedIn, so you should read his posts. They're quite interesting. I think that's going to be a very interesting episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks. Thanks. That was the No Nonsense Agile Podcast from Murray Robinson and Shane Gibson. If you'd like help with Agile, contact Murray at evolve.co. That's Evolve with a zero. Thanks for listening. Thanks.